Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, and welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Steve Augustino from the Communications Practice Group of Kelly Dry and Warren, and I'm joined today by Chris Laughlin from our group as well. How's it going, everyone? Yeah, good to see you, Chris. <laughs> um, so today we're picking up again on one of our regular series here, Inside the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, or Inside the TCPA. Um, we are uh, going to be talking some more about issues that are raised by the TCPA and what's happening in front of the FCC in, in that area. Um, this is, I believe, our fifth ep- episode in the series. If you have not uh, listened to any of the earlier ones, I encourage you to go back. It is not required for this particular episode, but um, you might find them interesting and helpful. Um, so today what we're going to do is we're going to take an in-depth look at FCC's current efforts to reduce the volume of illegal robocalls. And we're specifically going to focus on call blocking and call authentication today. So two different techniques that are part of the overall uh, anti-robocall effort. The first point I want to make is it's very important here to note the differences between illegal robocalls and unwanted calls or nuisance calls. These are not the same things, even though a lot of times in ordinary conversations on this topic, they tend to get conflated. Um, you know, we know consumers don't want to receive certain types of calls. They're annoyed at certain types of calls, but those calls are not necessarily illegal. Um, presumably, all illegal calls are unwanted, but not necessarily all unwanted calls are illegal. And that's a challenge both for the regulators but and also for us in talking about topics like this. Right. And when, when it comes to call blocking and call authentication, these two things are sort of outside the core TCPA topics. Um, so the definition of a, an auto dialer and how you handle real sign numbers um, and uh, uh, getting consent from consumers. Um, which are issues that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we talked about in some of our prior Inside the TCP ep- episodes. Um, and uh, it, uh, this stuff was all sort of remanded back to the FCC in the ACA International v. FCC case. Right, right. The, the core issues. And let's let's focus on that for just a second here. Sure. So, so what the major issues in the uh, ACA International case were a couple of different things. Yeah. So that decision invalidated just about all of the FCC's 2015 TCPA order, including its broad definition of what constitutes an auto dollar under the TCPA and how subscribers can provide consent and revoke consent to be called. Um, so, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we discussed these, the auto dollar definition in some detail in our June, June 2018 episode um, and then followed that in July 2018 talking about the consent issues. Right, right. And, and the, the update sort of on that is that, you know, the FCC after the remand from the court did take it up, considered um, information on it, took comments on it, took another round of comment in the fall after the Ninth Circuit's decision in the Marx versus Crunch case. Um, and we thought they were about to address that come January, February of the of the uh, beginning of 2019, but they haven't. Um, mm-hmm. And so as we're recording this now in, in uh, end of May, they are still considering that. 
and that's still pending. Right. But that really is unrelated to the issues that we're talking about here, um, which is um, the FCC kind of pivoted a little bit. And rather than defining what's illegal and not illegal, what they really are focusing on or have been focusing on recently is how to reduce the volume mm-hmm. of those illegal calls. Um, and they got a couple of different things that we've done, and then we're going to talk really about the the call blocking proposals. Right, right. And the, the the sort of the common thread between the call blocking and call authentication here is that it really just focuses on on spoofed calls. Um, and sort of as a quick reminder for our listeners, spoofing is the practice of altering the calling number of a telephone call so that it appears to be coming from a telephone number other than it actually is. So, for instance, the calling number could be altered to appear to come from an area code local to the called party. Um, and, you know, as of course, there are many legitimate uses for spoofing a call, such as uh, businesses that present its consumer callback number on, a, on all outbound calls, um, calls originating, originating from teleworkers, and calls from certain sensitive areas like domestic violence shelters or government offices. Um, but spoofing can also be used for unlawful purposes, um, such as to evade call blocking or filtering tools to engage in prohibited robocalling or to commit fraud against the call recipient by appearing to be someone who the caller is not. Um, and we've mentioned the most uh, well-known example of this before on, on this series. It's where bad actors were spoofing IRS numbers and convincing called parties that they owed money to the IRS then defrauding them out of that money. And this resulted in millions of dollars of losses for right, consumers. Right. Okay. All right. So let's let's dive into today's topic. Um, and in some ways, this actually is a follow-on to a topic that we talked about um, in one of our earlier versions of the Inside the TCPA podcast. Um, in September of 2018, we talked about call blocking attempts at that point and what was the status of it. And a lot has changed since then. Um, so what I want to do, though, first is kind of give a little bit of background here. The first call blocking order was in November of 2017. And in that order, what the FCC did um, was they aimed at blocking certain types of illegal spoofed calls. And as you mentioned, they focused on spoofing, not on the content of the calls and not on the, you know, the whether they're scams or, or not. Um, they really focused on certain characteristics that were identifiable here. And in, in, it was kind of, to some degree, low-hanging fruit, really. Right. What the commission had done was they ruled then in 2017 um, that carriers were permitted to block four types of calls. And they're relatively narrow. And we'll go through them here quickly. Um, they could block calls that are on a do-not-originate list. Those are calls from numbers that the actual owner of the caller says, of that call of that number says, I don't place outbound calls on that. That's the IRS situation there. You know, actual legitimate government numbers, they don't place outbound calls on that. So if it's showing that number in the caller ID, the carrier can block it. They also can block calls that are coming from invalid numbers. Um, area codes that don't exist, area codes that show all nines, 999, 999, et cetera. Um, ones that are less than 10 digits, et cetera, those things can, can be blocked because they're invalid. Then there's the unallocated numbers. Those are numbers that are um, still in the database to be assigned to a carrier. They haven't been uh, brought out of that. So obviously, if they haven't gone to a carrier, they can't be in use anywhere. 
and it's clearly invalid to use those. And then the fourth one the commission allowed was unassigned numbers, which is uh, numbers that are allocated to a carrier but are not actually assigned to an end user yet. And in those four instances, the FCC said in 2017, it's okay to block those. Right. And, you know, I, I think there's some evidence out there that that fourth category isn't really being used to block calls, the unassigned numbers. And the reason is, is because the carriers are not sharing between each other whether they've assigned a number or not to a consumer. So they, they might block it for the the consumer the subscribers that they have but um, if it terminates at another carrier they're not gonna yeah. they're not yeah, gonna know to block that call if you're Verizon or whatever you're not gonna want to tell AT and T and your competitors whether or not you've assigned certain numbers or how much you've assigned right. so yeah so it, it's competitively sensitive that's probably not used the other thing about these categories is the commission knew that they were narrow um, and they also knew at the time that um, this was the kind of thing that could be easily manipulated, right? The the so-called bad actors here who were using these could change their tactics pretty quickly and pretty mm-hmm. easily. Um, it's important still to block these, but it wasn't necessarily um, going to be the you know everything that was um, you know you know the cure all here, the silver bullet, so right. to speak. Right? And I th- you know, I think we mentioned in our prior episodes that we we didn't really think this was going to be the last word because because of that because the commission anticipated that uh, the the illegal callers were going to sort of change their tactics. Right. So right. right. So now here we are, um, you know, poised. And people are still frustrated about robocalls. <laughs> um, the FCC has announced... Illegal robocalls. <laughs> illegal robocalls. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, and, but the FCC has announced that at its next meeting on June 6th, it's going to consider uh, an order on call blocking. Um, and that, that order is a declaratory ruling. And Chris, why don't you give us a little bit of a flavor of what that... Uh, is proposed at least at this point. Right. So this is uh, uh, this is going to be focused on calls where fraudsters or other bad actors spoof legitimate in-service numbers. Um, so this is the sort of the new tactic that they've uh, been focusing on. And the most significant part of the declaratory ruling is that it clarifies that a carrier can, by default, block calls coming from uh, uh, sort of these legitimate numbers if the carrier determines based on analytics that the calls are being spoofed. Um, The ruling still relies on consumer consent as the basis for the blocking. Um, So that is, a telephone company's common carrier obligation still applies, but implied consent subject to opt-out is the basis for exempting the carrier from its obligations. Um, unlike calls in the 2017 order, which were sort of clearly illegal or, or calls that just didn't really have a basis for go- being sent through. Yeah. Now, I mean, now we're getting closer to to the content of the calls and, and right. truly whether or not they're illegal or not. So, so the blocking can be based upon um, analytics. And, and one point I want to make is that this, what we're talking about here is distinct from the call labeling which wireless carriers are already deploying. And we talked a little bit about that in some of the earlier ones. It's somewhat controversial that itself, uh, those call labeling efforts, they're also fueled by analytics, um, presumably by the same kinds of analytics as would Mm -hmm. support the blocking here. Um, And they label calls based upon characteristics as, you know, things like scam or potential spam or nuisance or telemarketing. Um, But they nevertheless deliver the calls to the end user. So in that instance, there's no blocking by the carriers. The end user may decide to skip it um, on that particular call. And they also have an option usually in the call labeling to block future calls from that particular number. 
Um, but that's not the kind of blocking we're talking about here. We're also not talking about the third-party apps and third-party services that consumers might decide to use that aren't part of what the carrier service itself are. Mm -hmm. They perform a, a similar function. They actually do block calls there. Um, but uh, that's not what we're talking about here. Now we're talking about situations where the carrier itself can just refuse to deliver a call to the end user that's been delivered. And, and what is the commission saying about that? What's the declaratory ruling talk about there? What the commission, what it had previously done in its 2015 TCPA order, that's the one that got overturned um, in the ACA case, um, there was this one statement that, uh, that said that opt-in, mentioned opt-in call blocking programs, okay? And this statement sort of created ambiguity as to whether carriers could block these calls without getting opt-in consent. So the declaratory ruling says that the commission has not identified any provision in the Communications Act that ma mandates an opt-in re regime and then goes on to urge carriers to opt adopt tools to facilitate analytics-based call blocking and set it as the default. Right. And, and again, so the, so the key thing from the commission's perspective is that um, with uh, if it's based upon reasonable analytics, carriers now can block the calls um, subject to an opt-out by the consumer. So... Um, you know, there's some basis on that. And, and we're going to talk about two aspects then of that ruling, uh, which are getting some pushback right now and um, are will need to be addressed both in this order and then potentially way later. Um, so there's, there's two types of concerns here. First, there's a consumer side concern about this, about the uh, nature of the consent, the, the level of disclosure that goes to the consumers about how the blocking works and, and what is blocked. And let's, let's talk about that, and then we'll talk about concerns that legitimate call originators have about how it's going to impact them. Right. So on the consumer side, the, the commission sort of expresses this uh, belief that consumers will welcome having this type of call blocking as the default. So they're going to be happy with not having to go opt in to this this kind of program. But um, it, the commission also sort of recognizes that there are also some uh, consumers that might not be happy with the uh, carrier making the decision about whether or not to block their calls, uh, particularly because there is some risk that they might block calls that the consumer actually wants. Um, so the commission goes into a little bit of detail in the declaratory ruling about what carriers must do to uh, uh, to uh, inform consumers that this is happening and to um, give them the opportunity to opt out of the program. And that's a pretty common consumer protection uh, right. you know, concern anyway, right? The adequacy of the disclosure. You have to, if you're going to do something on behalf of the consumer, particularly on an opt-out basis here, um, you have to offer sufficient information for the consumer so they can make an informed choice. They can know these are the types of calls that are going to be blocked, um, you know, obviously you can't go into too much detail about the methodology that's used for that, but consumers need to know what's going to be blocked or what happens to it. I mean, in theory, these might get sent to voicemail rather than ringing the phone mm. or um, might be put in some other kind of mediated uh, process before they get, get uh, brought to you. But, um, you know, the concern there is making sure that the carriers provide enough information and in a way that's clear and easy for the consumers to understand um, so that they can decide whether or not to opt out of that program. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, what I, I expect there is that 
even after the declaratory ruling, we're going to have the same kinds of consumer protection issues that you normally have there. Um, is the disclosure of what the practices are accurate? You know, does it cover all of the practices? Was it sufficient to provide a meaningful opportunity for the consumers to decide whether or not they want to use this program or use something else, presumably? Right. But and so far, though, we haven't uh, we haven't seen anything sort of in the record after the draft order was released to sort of indicate that um, some, you know, a lot of consumers are, are at least from cons consumer groups that they're concerned about this. So we'll see if after the fact that uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll raise their their eyebrows about it. We'll, we'll see. It. Yeah. But what we have heard yes. is from the call origination industry. Um, and these are. Telemarketers, debt collectors, um, healthcare providers, others who are placing outbound calls to consumers, trying to reach consumers. Um, and their concerns, Chris, why don't you walk us through a little bit of what their concerns have been in this area? Yeah, they're concerned that the, the analytics might generate false positives, so block calls that are not illegal or that the consumers would want to receive. So again, these are legitimate telemarketers. Um, and callers, and the declaratory ruling says that carriers may offer opt-out call blocking programs based on any reasonable analytics designed to identify unwanted calls. So it's it's not particularly specific, although the, the commission does give a lot of different examples of what that might entail. So um, it says that uh, a call blocking program might block calls based on large bursts of calls in a short time frame, low average call duration, low call completion ratios, um, invalid numbers placing a large volume of calls, uh, common caller ID name values across voice service providers, a uh, large volume of complaints. I, we could go on and on and on, but the, I think the point is is that some of these might still capture those legitimate um, the legitimate telemarketers. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's certainly possible. I mean, these are the these are the kinds of things that, you know, are um, out there because you you know the bad actors in the area um, are constantly changing their tactics and they're constantly trying to avoid being detected so they tend to like bounce from number to number um, quickly and so the challenge for the call analytics industry is to identify that to recognize these factors and these factors are you know it's it's dynamic they're ever-changing um, they can jump and start spoofing at a legit a legitimate number for a short while which will affect the call volumes and might affect the the total numbers. So, um, it, it's you know it's possible that you can have a number that gets treated differently ten minutes from now than the way it got right. treated today. Right. You know, right now, and that's you know that's a real challenge. And what what the FCC has said so far has been, um, you know, as long as it's reasonable, and they're not very prescriptive so far in this uh, area. Right. Yeah. No, they're, they're not. Although they do, you know, one of the things that they sort of add in, and we're going to talk about this in a second, is that um, uh, whether calls can be blocked based on the shake and stir framework, which is the call authentication um, portion of the discussion. Right. Yeah. yeah, we'll go into that in a little more detail. But, but so far what we've seen is the pushback has been, you know, there are going to be false positives on this. And, um, you know, that raising concerns that these are inaccurate and 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 how that's going to be addressed. Um, and you know, one thing to understand here is that the analytics companies and the carriers that are deploying these also recognize the problem of false positives. 
and they also don't want to see that, that's not meaningful for their customers if you're blocking a call that they actually want to receive. Um, they have kind of a challenge on that. So they all, all say, yes, we have a feedback loop of some, some way, some way for you as the call originator to provide us information. Um, they're reluctant to go with whitelists to automatically approve certain types of numbers uh, because of concerns that, you know, others might spoof that, right. you know, on top of it or um, uh, that sort of thing. They're also reluctant to disclose too much about how they do it um, because then the bad actors could try to reverse right. engineer what's being done and still avoid the detection and now we haven't solved anything. Right, but they're really, really sort of walking this line between being over-inclusive or, or not being over-inclusive and, and not being under-inclusive, um, which, as you said, is a difficult right. challenge for right. them. Yeah, and, and, and it's a real challenge. So I think that, you know, the thing to watch here um, is what the commission says about um, what's a reasonable analytics process. Do they put more on that? Do they become prescriptive on this? If so, how much? Um, and what they say about that feedback loop part of this as well. And that's been something that was raised a, a year or so ago anyway, is, you know, is this accurate and, you know, what's happening? Uh, what, what are the processes? Um, but I will say this, um, I don't expect this FCC to be very prescriptive. That's yeah. not the way that they have, you know, operated here. And I think they're going to be reluctant to interject themselves in disputes over the blocking results. So, you know, while they might say, we're going to monitor this, we're going to look at this, I don't expect, you know, too much by the commission at this point. I think they're going to kind of let this happen, see what the results are, see how the industry and the call originators and the consumers all react to it, mm. and then maybe assess, you know, later what they want to do. That's a kind of a typical way the commission would address something like this. Right. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, I just want to throw in one more piece here. You mentioned whitelist, um, and it's just another small piece of this declaratory ruling is that they do actually allow consumers to um, to use whitelist. So that's where uh, the subscriber opts in to provide that carrier with all the telephone numbers that they they from which they want to receive phone calls, and the carrier blocks any call that's not on that list. So we'll we'll see if... Consumers actually take that up. Consumers want to do that. Yeah, I, yeah. I might I, never get a call I, from I, you, Chris. I, right? I, yeah, <laughs> you might not yeah, be in my contacts. I see. Already. You don't yeah. want to put me on the whitelist, Steve. <laughs> I see. Okay, so so um, we're gonna we're gonna move on to call authentication next on this. Right. This is a further notice of proposed rulemaking by the commission. So proposing rules or potential rules um, for dealing with call blocking in scenarios after this new call authentication system is uh, in place. And we don't have time to go into all the details of the new call authentication framework, but Chris, why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of what that is? Right, so Chicken Stir is sort of this industry-developed framework that is designed to allow carriers to authenticate and verify, verify the identity of callers for, for calls carry, carried over IP networks. Um, and it works by the originating carrier signing the, the call, putting this authentication on the call that travels with the call um, until it gets to the terminating carrier and the, the terminating carrier goes through this verification process where they ensure that the, 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 
the call was sort of signed, uh, authenticated appropriately. And if that's the case, then it's they will send the call to the consumer. Right. right? Yeah. It, it's sort of it's sort of a, a trusted sis- system. If I'm the originating carrier, I'll verify and say yes, this entity. Um, is entitled to use the particular number. It's really, you know, like before, it focuses more on spoofing than anything else, mm-hmm. right? So the number might be spoofed, but I, as the originating carrier, will say, yeah, they're entitled to spoof that number or that is their number. Either way, I sort of verify that it comes all the way through, um, at least ideally if it all stays at an IP network all the way through. And then at the terminating end, Chris, you as the terminating carrier will sort of verify that. Right. And another piece of this is that the originating carrier, when it authenticates the call, it, it has these different attestation levels. So it's it's saying, you know, what sort of relationship it has with the caller um, to know what level of trust there is about whether the, that caller is allowed to use that number. Right. Right. Yeah. No. And, and those are important things that they um, that'll play into the NPRM here a little bit. So uh, the last piece of background you need to know about Shake and Stir before we talk about the further notice um, is that this has been one of the priorities for Chairman Pai over the last year. He has really um, tried to use the power of the commission to pressure carriers to implement Shake and Stir. Um, he sent letters in November of 2018 about this out to carriers saying, are you deploying it? And if so, what's your timeline on this? And if you're not deploying it, why aren't you deploying it? How come you haven't gotten on to this? Um, he has threatened both in those letters and in subsequent uh, statements that if carriers don't meet the deadline of deploying the shake and stir uh, system by the end of 2019, that he's gonna, the FCC is going to force them to do so. So there's a, there's a big stick being threatened right. around here as well. Um, and he has also recently announced the July robocall summit that I think is, you know, probably along the lines of the same sort of thing, right? I'm going to praise those who are actually doing this and I'm going to, you know, kind of publicly shame if I can those <laughs> who are not doing it. So um, that will be an interesting thing to watch as this moves forward. But that's the background on this second aspect of this uh, ruling. It's the further notice. But Chris, why don't you tell us what it really actually proposes to do? Right. The the further notice, maybe it's it's sort of a carrot, or at least it reduces the liability for carriers um, uh, that block calls based on shake and stir. So it gives them a safe harbor if they decide to do that. Um, and the sort of the important pieces here is that it's only if the call is not authenticated. So the call has to have gone through the shake and stir um, framework, the originating caller authenticates it, and then the terminating um, uh, carriers goes through the verification process. And if they can't verify the call, then they can block it. It does not cover calls where the originating carrier didn't go through the authentication process. Right. right. So if it's originated on a network that's not capable of deploying shake and stir or hasn't deployed it, those won't be, uh, there's no safe harbor for blocking those types of calls. Exactly. Right. Yep. And then the other part of it is that, or at least the part that's not included, is that it doesn't uh, allow carriers to block calls based on the different levels of authentication. So it's only whether it's authenticated or not authenticated. Okay. So it's kind of baby steps again. It's sort right. of that low-hanging fruit as uh, as it would be with respect to uh, the, the shake and stir authentication framework then. Right. Right. Okay. All right. So, so watch that. Now, um, 
I think this has shown, you know, that there are quite a lot of things still to talk about in TCPA. Uh, there's a lot more to come here. Uh, call blocking is moving forward. I think big picture, here's what I'll say about this, is that the most recent actions from the FCC have barely been focusing on trying to identify and reduce the volume of calls that are illegal um, and to some degree, ones that are unwanted as well. So between call authentication, this blocking proposal, the reassigned number database, those are all designed to reduce the instance of calls going to consumers that shouldn't go there, right? right? Um, we still will have that underlying ACA remand that we have to cover, which defines what is illegal and what is not illegal and, and how that all plays in here. That's going to play out at some point Hopefully soon. I mean, we, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see, right? We have no indication from the commission as to when they're going to pick that up. Um, I think they have all the information they need to make the decisions. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, finding the right time to, to do it or finding the right balance, you know, can be a challenge. Well, and, uh, you know, I think in the end, consumers will just be happy if the number of illegal robocalls they're getting goes down, whether it's through their ACA remand or through these other measures that the uh, commission is taking. Here. Exactly. And that legitimate calls that are meaningful to them do go through, right? right. You want to get those certain types of calls, the school reminders or, you know, other things that are important yeah, to you, those consumers. You can feel confident right. picking up the phone, <laughs> answer, actually right. answering. And, right. and hopefully we get some balance that, that takes care of this class action boom as well, which has been really troublesome mm -hmm. for those who are placing outbound calls. Um, um, quite expensive and trying to deal with it. So, so there's a lot here. Um, I can guarantee you we're going to have another Inside the TCPA podcast. <laughs> um, we may have several more as you see how much is out there. But uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank you for sticking with us for one that ran a little bit long overall. But um, I think there's a, there's a lot of information here for it. So uh, keep watching these issues. Uh, they will be moving along and we will be giving you updates on all of our outlets here, our, our Twitter account, our blog, uh, these podcasts, and other things. So uh, keep track and, and follow Kelly Dry's communications practice. Thank you very much. Thank you. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management. <laughs>